This is EM Pulse with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. 15 years from now. Welcome back and Happy New Year. Wow, Sarah, what a year. Yeah, I mean, what a year to remember. Or forget. (laughs) So true, so true. (laughs) You know, that said, this last year has truly taught us so much. Like what six feet apart actually looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Or how not to touch our faces. Or reuse PPE. Oh, my goodness. Or to always have at least a week's worth of toilet paper. Oh, yeah. Good one. And what Zoom is and how to use it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. And sweatpants are acceptable. Or or no pants. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Birthday parties can be drive-by affairs. Right. And, you know, we learn how to cut our own hair, or at least you and I both tried. (laughs) That was a disaster. (laughs) Okay, what about how to bake sourdough bread? Yeah, I still didn't get good at that. But we did learn where to adopt pets like our COVID puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Jack is super cute. Okay, okay. Here's the one I really learned. Teachers are underpaid, man. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, most of all, we really learn to be grateful for what we do have. Yeah, that's well said, Sarah. This last year has also indelibly changed emergency medicine as well. We're different people, different providers, and we're viewed differently by the public as well. Emergency medicine will be forever stamped by this watershed year. And this is part three of our three-part series on the past, present, and now future of emergency medicine. Right. And we will continue this discussion with a few of the leaders in our field about what emergency medicine will look like in 10 to 15 years. What do you think the role of emergency medicine will be in the healthcare and to our patients 10, 15 years from now? Emergency medicine is the primary access point for healthcare in this country. And I believe that that role is actually going to expand. I think the way that emergency care delivery is provided is also going to change fairly dramatically. We will always be the people who respond to acute and undifferentiated care, but we are also going to be the gatekeepers for a massively transitioned hospital system that is going to be the result of tremendous consolidation in the industry, and we are going to be the people who make sure that people are in the right place within the systems of care. If you look at what's happening within hospital systems and consolidation, they're going to be bigger epicenters of sophisticated quaternary care delivery for medical specialists and surgical subspecialists. And patients are going to need to come to those facilities and they're going to be greeted by an emergency medicine practitioner. I actually think we should change our name, but that might be a little radical. Emergency care is only going to be a part of what we do. We are going to be the people who provide, yes, access to acute and undifferentiated care, 
But in addition, we are going to be essentially the gatekeepers for the entire hospital system and healthcare system. Patients are going to come in through the ED, they're going to go to an ICU, or they're going to go home, or they're going to go to an operating room, or they're going to go home, or they'll have a very short stay in the hospital, only essentially to consolidate services around them so they can go home for their medical conditions to be treated. I think we have seen a very rapid transition to that across the last several years. And I think COVID is only going to accelerate that use of technology and our capacity to feel comfortable sending patients home with remote monitoring for their treatment, if you will, for their condition. That was Dr. Cherry Hobgood, professor of emergency medicine and past chair at Indiana University. She's a former chair of the board of ASEP and a previous president of SAEM. You might remember her from part two on the state of emergency medicine. The next voice you will hear is the voice of Dr. Amy Mullen, professor of emergency medicine and psychiatry at UC Davis. She's also a previous Cal ASEP president, behavioral health director, and director of California Bridge. This does seem to me where we're going, but it is also, you know, what I would like to see happen. I think that we should work more in terms of understanding the social needs of our patients and being able to triage them to what they need. I think that clearly we've under-recognized and underfunded public health. And do we have a huge role in public health? Absolutely. And I'd like to see us lean into it. I'd like to see us go outside our doors and look at our communities and how can we do a better job of taking care of our community before they're in our department. I think we can definitely coordinate with primary care. Some things maybe I do better than a primary care doctor because I'm open 24-7 and I have access to specialists. And so maybe that is not bad if patients come to the emergency department and the primary care physicians who are overloaded can do what they do best. So I think that like, can we take the load off of primary care? Yeah. Can we look outside our doors and take better care of our community? Yes. That's a huge opportunity that we have in emergency medicine. And I hope that we rise to that challenge. This is something that's been important to me in my career. And that is the role of treating patients with substance use disorders in our departments and in our communities, frankly. Um, And this goes back to kind of the origin of emergency medicine. Greg Henry said, emergency medicine took whatever was left over and we turned it into lunch. And I look around today and see, where are the big gaps in our healthcare system? And that's in addiction and that's in mental illness. And when we look in our waiting rooms, you see untreated substance use disorder and untreated mental illness. And I think that there's a huge role for us there. And I think that we have not embraced it in a way that we could. And so I think that that's something that we should look into. And then I think that that's something that I hope to see us take over or have a bigger role in. Next is Dr. Joseph Adrian Tyndall, professor and chair of emergency medicine at the University of Florida College of Medicine and interim dean for the College of Medicine. He's also Associate Vice President for Academic and Strategic Affairs for University of Florida Health and immediate past chair of the Florida chapter of ASAP. There are going to be fundamental changes, um, at least in our developed countries, in terms of how uh, healthcare is delivered. 
this is happening extraordinarily quickly. Look at technology advancement. Look at things such as wearable devices. Look at the advent of telehealth and telemedicine. Look at artificial intelligence and, and natural language processing and how that is continuing to change the dynamic of, of not just um, what's possible, but even how we practice. And I think that as the health system evolves, it will be transformative, I think, for us. And our practices will change. The science of emergency medicine will change. The precision associated with how we actually care will change. What we see routinely in the emergency department over time will change. We probably won't be seeing those very same patients in the emergency department setting. We'll probably be seeing those patients at home through telehealth. Hospitals, as many people have said euphemistically, might become inpatient facilities and critical care towers only where we assess and take care of trauma. But the routine problems we see all day, every day, where we see chronic diseases exacerbated beyond a condition that's treatable at home or in a primary care setting, all that will change because there will be more efficient ways for patients to be able to care for their own health. And so the, the demographics and the paradigm shift of what we begin to see in emergency medicine, I think, will be interesting. How do you think COVID will impact us as a specialty long term? One of the first things I think of is, is PPE and, you know, has raised the awareness of how little we knew about where our supplies were and how do we stockpile and how do we distribute supplies. So my hope is that we've taken a lot of lessons learned from how do we increase our production I think going forward, flu season is going to look a lot different. Like in retrospect, why weren't we all wearing masks throughout flu season? Probably would have decreased the spread within our own departments. I do think, you know, we saw this huge drop in ED volumes back in April and that is starting to come up, but it's it's generally not 100% most places. I personally think it's going to be some time before we go back to our normal volumes. I think the lower acuity things are going to be seen either by telemedicine, by emergency medicine, by urgent care, by primary care, um, but that we are going to start seeing a higher acuity in the emergency department because you are kind of self-selecting those patients who need that higher higher level of care. And I think patients are going to probably demand more convenience. I think now that people understand they can talk to their primary care via telemedicine, um, they're going to want a different delivery model. I don't know that they're going to want to wait six hours in a waiting room to be seen. And I think we have to be a little more adaptive and innovative in our healthcare delivery models to try and address those changes because of COVID in the future. That is Dr. Jillian Schmitz, the current ASEP president-elect. Dr. Schmitz is an associate professor at the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences and also works clinically at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. Keep in mind that this audio clip was recorded between spikes in COVID cases. And as you know, there have been wild fluctuations over the past year. I think we will take PPE more seriously forever. <laughs> Do you remember we used to intubate people with the flu with yeah. nothing? Like no mask, no eye protection. Like I put on gloves and that was it. We will never do that ever again. That has been changed. I think it has changed how we look at public health. I think it has changed how we look at disease surveillance. And I do hope that I forever see emergency medicine physicians taking over the airwaves, taking over public health officer positions, getting involved in policy. I really hope that all of us have woken up to our leadership potential. Certainly, I love us because I think more than anybody, we've been everywhere. And I hope that we continue to do that. 
How do you think technology will change the way emergency departments look in 10 years? If technology continues to expand at the current rate, patients are going to present to our emergency departments and have their diagnoses already in their hand for the most part. Their tests will have been drawn, their radiographic studies will have been done, and we are going to make sure that they get to the right place at the right time to ensure that they receive the care that they need. That's a future state, but I think we're headed there very, very quickly. So when you look at the workforce data, what I think is really interesting to me is that rural America, which is now one in five Americans, is really understaffed. We have very few, if any, emergency physicians in those areas. And there are clear disparities between rural and urban suburban areas. So one of the things that we're starting to see are these sort of Avera telemedicine models where you have, rather than you know a million departments within 10 miles of each other, it's more of a hub and spoke model where they'll have an emergency physician in sort of a, the master center, and they're kind of overseeing you know, the care of 30 different rural hospitals to be able to provide direction and emergency medicine kind of oversight, which I think is a huge role for us in the future. I think if you look at the military and, and really looking at the technology that we are evolving of sending drones out, like I can see in 10, 20 years, and when you have someone in a, in a remote location who has a cardiac arrest and calls 911, right, for the time for the ambulance to get there, that, that patient's outcome is not going to be good. But if we can send drones out with a AED and, and really deliver um, what, what we now think of like Amazon coming to your door in five minutes, could that improve, you know, healthcare? I think our EMRs are going to be so much more sophisticated and hopefully more physician user-friendly in the future. But this is the thing that used to drive me crazy, you know, when I worked at a county hospital, is we would have patients all the time sent from our community hospital that was just across the street. But I couldn't access the hospital discharge summary. I had no idea what their baseline creatinine or labs were. They just had some, you know, crazy workup, but I have no idea what was done and the patient can't tell me. And we end up repeating everything all over again just so we have it in our system. Um, if we can have more user interface and, and be able to share data, I think that's going to be a huge role for us going forward. And I think even consultations by telemedicine, I think not every hospital is going to have, you know, neurology and urology and neurosurgeons. I think our volumes are probably going to go down. I think our acuity is going to go up. And I think our ability to serve as a consultant uh, rather than just us consulting people will be increased in places that may not have access to a board-certified emergency physician. And it may look very different. I think our healthcare delivery models, be it uh, freestanding hospitals or micro hospitals, more telemedicine, more paramedicine, where even EMS is having a more active role in sort of observation after a hospital discharge, after an ED visit is going to increase and using that technology to improve the quality of care of patients. From my view, I think that this is overblown. Definitely there was a moment when volumes crashed and everything was going to go to telehealth that, you know, I really had that moment where I thought the future of emergency medicine is dead. And then I saw the patient who accidentally shot his ankle because he was trying to shoot a squirrel and people were coming in drunk. And you know what I mean? And I realized, no, none of these visits could have been done via telehealth. The people that I see every day, the stuff that I do is way too complex, way too immediate to be dealt with over a telehealth visit. Imagine the emergency medicine physician of the future. You walk into a room with the, the equivalent of, let's say, a Google glasses, and, and embedded in that 
is a artificial intelligence agent that can scan medical records, can assess what you're doing, um, when you're doing it, from the tone of your voice. As you speak to the patient, as you do the physical examination, um, and as you query for medical record information that will help in the care of the patient, you do that all in one fell swoop without having to sort of put your finger in a computer or interact in any other way. And then when you're done with that interaction, you walk out of the room and imagine now that your medical record is now set. Um, all you need to do is sign it. It's possible. It's, it's actually happening today when we think about natural language processing and the technology that's actually being used. And so I think it will absolutely change how we do our work every day. One thing I would say, though, is that especially as we think about AI and we think about access and technology and wearables, we realize that society has been, I think, in some ways, deferentially introduced to uh, technology and technology access. What do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, this impact will not necessarily impact everyone equally. There are people who will have access to care, will have access to the high-end products that will allow them to be able to do these sorts of things. There can also be exacerbation of disparities in healthcare if we're not very careful about how people are able to access that technology. What do you think insurance will look like 10 years from now? That is the million-dollar question, my friend. <laughs> uh, for years, we've been saying is healthcare a right or is it a privilege? I think our country feels like it is a right, but we fund it as a privilege and those tenants are incongruent. And we've kind of come to a breaking point that what we're doing is no longer sustainable. You know, we're sending 20% of our GDP on, on healthcare and the trust fund of Medicare is, is running out and we need to figure out a better system. I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion. I, I think at some point, as complex as it is, and I think our system has been built on decades of changes with EMTALA and Medicare and HMOs and PPOs that it has become so complex that any change is going to be very difficult to unravel. But I think what we're doing is not sustainable. It has gotten to the point where we're at, at, a, at really at a breaking point and the healthcare safety net has been stretched so thin that it's about to burst. Um, that I, I think we probably do need a new healthcare financing model it's a very controversial topic on, on how or what that looks like. But I, I think we all believe in universal access and making sure that no matter how you pay for it, that everyone has a way to get care. I think any healthcare financing model we go with has to preserve choice. It has to preserve competition. It has to be uh, budget friendly where we can afford to still you know, pay for schools and education and everything else. But recognizing that, that what we're doing probably isn't what's best for our country, and, and we need a new way of looking at this. So I really hope that it is different, because I don't see who it's working for. And I really hope that this is the other thing that COVID changes. I think there's been a growing recognition of the importance of healthcare and the importance of having stable healthcare in our society. And I really think Americans need to look around and say, who is this insurance company working for? And, and how is this current system working? Because it's not working for anyone as far as I can tell. So I'm optimistic that we're going to have some real conversations shortly. Amy, a while ago, you mentioned a theory that you had for not having a full single-payer system, but having the emergency departments be single-payer. When you get insurance, you think about 
your primary care physician, you think about kind of the regular healthcare stuff. That's kind of what you, you think about as a consumer when you're purchasing insurance. You don't think about the catastrophic car accidents. And that's kind of what drives up bills, right? And, and that's kind of what's where people are going bankrupt. So what if we just took that off the table? What if we were an essential public service? What if we were part of police fire and that people purchased insurance for primary care visits and kind of the regular healthcare maintenance stuff and that catastrophic, unplannable healthcare emergency was part of the public system? And I think these are the things that we got to start thinking about. We consider EMS an essential public service. But where is EMS without an emergency department? So why aren't we considered an essential public service? We fund fire departments with the thought that they need to be open and ready to respond in a moment's notice. Like we're very comfortable with having firefighters ready, a standby time, ready to, to make it to your house in a no moment's notice. Why should we not apply that same logic to having a doctor there ready to take care of you when you have a heart attack? Why should we not have, as a part of, of our public service, a doctor ready to take care of you? The same way a firefighter is ready to put out the fire in your house. And so I just think that we need to think about how we're funding our healthcare system, and maybe that's the way in. Wow. It is so intriguing to me that emergency medicine was originally defined by its location, the emergency room, a place to fill the gaps of care. And now it's defined by the people who provide emergency care to everyone, provide primary care, trauma care, and mental health, everything. In the future, those principles will hold true, but it will likely look a lot different. In the future, emergency medicine will be defined just as it was in the past by the needs of our patients. I think many love the idea of taking care of more critically ill patients with truly emergent needs. We get starry-eyed at the idea of leveraging technology like teleconsults, natural language processing, wearable technology, and even drones starting CPR in the field. But we aren't there yet, and many changes need to be made. The future will be a balance between reimbursement, access to care, and public health. Again, the needs of our patients. Even if those needs are clean needles or strategies for future pandemics. We need to watch so carefully that these changes do not widen the gap of access to care. We can't forget that we are here to treat anyone, anywhere, anytime. We want to hear from you. What is your vision for the future of emergency medicine? Let us know at EM Pulse Podcast and share EM Pulse Podcast with your colleagues and rate us on iTunes. Thank you to our national and local leaders in emergency medicine, those visionaries. It is an honor to work shoulder to shoulder with you. And thank you to OM Audio Productions for taming our technology. And you won't want to miss next month's podcast as we continue to explore the future with a two-part series on telehealth and how it changes care for our patients and for us. See you then. See you then.